This is the Creative Agency Podcast, where we explore the strategies, aspirations, methods, and mistakes behind growing and maintaining a successful creative agency. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of the Creative Agency Podcast, jam-packed with golden nuggets of knowledge that you can use to fuel and grow your creative agency. Today, we have an inspiring interview with Jeremy Pelly, co-owner of OMFG Co. Jeremy and his business partner, Fritz Messenbrink, started OMFG Co. without having any idea how to run a business and managed to create something unique and incredibly successful. OMFG Co. is a creative agency that thinks big about branding. They've worked with amazing companies like Ace Hotel, NBC Universal's G4 Network, and Stumptown Coffee. I'm personally a huge fan of the work that they've done for Portland Meadows, which is Portland's horse racing track. You can check out their work at omfgco.com. Before we begin, I got a very nice listener email from Zach Leeton of Zach Leeton Photography in Sacramento, California. He wrote, I was wondering if you could go into more detail on how you or other agencies handle and go about the discovery process. That's a great request, and I'd love to have someone come on the show and talk about discovery. So if your creative agency uses a robust or unique discovery process that you think would benefit our listeners, hit me up at chris at creativeagencypodcast.com. We'll get you on the show. Without further ado, let's visit with Jeremy of OMFG Co. So I'm here at OMFG Co's headquarters in Portland, Oregon, and I am with Jeremy Pelly, co-founder of OMFG Co. Um, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. I wanted to mention a little bit this uh, recording space that we're in here. Is this a uh, is this a storage locker? <laughs> um, it's uh, our future library. Uh, we we moved into this studio about three weeks ago, and uh, there's a lot of uh, little bits of construction still being done. So in here, one of the best features of this room actually will be um, what I call the Webster. Uh, grandfather clock feature where um, the Webster TV show from when I was a kid, uh-huh. um, you'd pull the grandfather clock away from the wall and it would uh, reveal a, a staircase. And so in this in this sense, uh, instance, um, we have a bookshelf uh, that will be uh, movable and we can walk behind it and then uh, it reveals a hidden stairwell to uh, our hidden kind of zen chill out zone upstairs. Whoa. And yeah, the upstairs is going to be uh, intentionally low ceiling. So it encourages you to sit and, and do nothing. Well, that's cool. So the stairwell will be in this room. It will. Right, right in there in that corner. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I love the the hidden bookcase. Yeah, it's going to be fun. <laughs> I've wanted it my whole life. <laughs> I actually lived in a house that had a, a bookcase that did uh, move away to reveal storage space. So oh, it was bummer. kind of boring. Yeah, <laughs> not, not a good reveal. Yeah. But, you know, at least you, you hide the storage. I guess, yeah. Yes, you know. <laughs> but yeah, this is more fun. That's awesome. So let's talk a little bit about OMFG Co. Um, how long have you been in operation? Uh, we are just coming up to our seventh anniversary um, in June. So we, you know, we're a little bit out, but yeah, almost seven years now. Wow, that's great. How many employees does OMFG Co. have? Uh, we're currently up to 11 in-house, and then we freelance as we need. Uh, but we, we definitely take pride in uh, keeping it a small team. We feel like there's like a bit more maneuverability we have as a studio into what we say yes to and why. Mm-hmm. How did OMFG Co. begin? It began uh, pretty simply. Um, basically, I was in-house as an art director at Ace Hotel before um, Portland property had opened, and that was my first design job. And so I was there for a while. Uh, we worked on Ace Portland, Ace New York, and Ace Palm Springs uh, internally as, with a small team. And as we started to expand, we started getting um, more in bed with uh, Stumptown Coffee Roasters. Mm-hmm. And uh, we would bring them with us to Palm Springs or, or to New York. And, and as those email chains started happening, um, Fritz was freelancing with them. And he had, uh, at the same time, been working on their packaging and all their collateral and all their stuff. So he was kind of just the Stumptown creative, and I was the Ace hotel creative and we were found ourselves on similar email chains and that was really fun uh, because we had met years ago um, at Wyden and Kennedy when he was working in studio and I was just graduating from WK12 so getting reconnected with Fritz was fun uh, and then having the chance to work together was even more fun and then uh, we realized uh, that you know we wanted to make this a more permanent thing and so 
we just kept talking and we were just like, you know, we, we got to figure this out. Like maybe, maybe I should just quit and maybe we should start our own company and we, we just make all of our current clients hire us as a, as an agency. So that's more or less what we did. And what was really the final impetus was our friends leaving Clyde Common and uh, Ace to start Olympic Provisions, which is now known as Olympia Provisions. They, they approached me personally and we're like hey we're we're going to do a new charcuterie um you know first usda certified in oregon and you know we would love for you guys or love for you to brand it and i was like well i'm just talking with fritz about starting my own company could we do it as a company and they're like absolutely so that was enough for us to um you know pull the trigger and you know granted uh, neither one of us are are very uh, business savvy we're more so now than we were we're both designers first and, and businessmen second but i mean it was 2009 it was the height of the recession mm-hmm. or the lowest point i guess how depending how you look at it and uh not the wisest move to quit a full-time job of, an, of a company that's doing really well. But, you know, we got lucky and it really, it's worked out really well. That's great. And so Stumptown and Ace both remained your clients after you guys both quit. They did. Um, for a while, we worked uh, on both of them, uh, mainly on smaller things like finishing out the New York property, finishing out art installations, um, you know, working on little collateral pieces for um, Stumptown. Can you explain the the name OMFG Co? I know that there's sort of an internet association with um, my effing God mm-hmm. <laughs> with OMFG. Yeah. Well, I should, I should ask, are we allowed to curse on this podcast or no? You know, I I go back and forth because I marked it as clean in iTunes. I really don't care, mm. but um, yeah, go ahead. I mean, okay, I mean, because you can you can bleep it. Yeah. Um, um, well, yeah. So the the story is Fritz and I were sitting at my dining room table, and we were like, "Hey, let's start a company." And so, what should we name it? And we were like, "Well." I know what we shouldn't name it. We you can't have the word design anywhere in the name because we want to do. We want to be seen as more than that. We want to, you know, at the time it was a very romantic notion because um, again we didn't know much about business, of you know being kind of a design build studio more or less because uh, we love working with our hands and making things ourselves and we still do, uh, but we've learned over the years that like what where that begins and ends for us and like how. Um, how that can still be part of our process without it being financially crippling um, or, or resource crippling. Long story short, we were just like, man, I really love the old school era of manufacturing and like, you know, like those old metal tags that you'd see on the backs of chairs or um, under tables that said Smith Manufacturing Company, but they would be abbreviated as Smith MFG Co. And so we were like, maybe we start there. Maybe we just like start with MFG Co. and like put like some sort of generic modifier in front of it. And so, um, you know, like I really liked how just blanket statement, generic um, standard oil uh, as a company name was um, back in the day. So kudos to Rockefeller for that one. But um, but yeah, it's just standard, you know, like you can't beat that. We threw out a bunch of modifiers and a bunch of names and then would just type them into a URL search, you know, like what's available. And uh, lo and behold, uh, the long form spelled out version of the official manufacturing company dot com was available. No surprise there. It's the world's longest URL. Um, so we bought that and then we were like, how can we shorten it? And we we're like, let's try official manufacturing company, official MFG Co. And we shortened it to that. And then we we're like, how else can we shorten it? And we we're like, oh, MFG Co. And we we're like, wow, it's available. Bye. And so we kind of just stumbled across it. Um, mm-hmm. It was a bit of an accident, but uh, we we knew it's uh, relevancy right away. But it, I mean, honestly, we do own the moniker, uh, Oh My Fucking God Company as well. Uh, we, <laughs> I think it really serves us well. It's very memorable. All of our clients love it, like, especially the big corporate clients. They mm-hmm. love putting, uh, like, an all agency calendar invite. Uh, to our meetings as meeting with OMFG. Like they, they just, I think they get some kind of like perverted pleasure because they normally can't be that informal or mm-hmm. seemingly informal with their meetings. So it's pretty fun. That's funny. So how did you, uh, you sort of explained how you, how you got your first clients. How did you get clients after that? What sort of marketing or outreach did you do? Well, believe it or not, those two clients, uh, both Stumptown, Ace, and then uh, Olympic Provisions, once we put our work out in the world as to like what we have done, because like neither one of us had really had a portfolio out online before that, we've gotten kind of a nonstop barrage of work. Um, and and it's like, it it is nice. It's like a really kind of amazing thing seven years in that we're still getting work from our histories with these, you know, very respected, um, and, and visible brands. Um, and we couldn't be more grateful for it. Um, but what's really weird about the problem, the situation is that it's like, we're consistently getting so much new business that we're not seeking out that it takes the power out of our hands as an agency to be more strategic with the kind of work that we want to do mm-hmm. simply because of time and bandwidth. And it's not, um, you know, again, no complaints, but it's just not the, not an ideal situation as some people might 
think it might be. What was one of the the hardest lessons that you had to learn when you're first starting out? When we're first starting out, one of the hardest lessons we learned was what it really means to run a company, what um, equity really means and what it's worth, like all those sorts of things. Early on, we had um, a studio we shared with a friend um, that became a third uh, partner for with us for a while. And we were, you know, over the moon at the time when we made it all happen. Um, but in hindsight, we didn't realize uh, like how uh, flippant we approached the whole equity scenario because we just were of sheer ignorance. We mm -hmm. just, we had no, we, we didn't know what else to offer. And so uh, because, you know, he kind of covered web and, and digital um, design and we, neither one of us did. We, we saw that as a hole in our operations and we needed that hole to be patched. And so we're like, hey, you know, we, we can't afford to pay you. We're barely getting paid ourselves but um, we can offer you equity. And so uh, when that happened, um, you know, again, like we, we all had the highest of hopes. And then years in when things weren't uh, as, as perfect as we wanted them to be or as smooth as we wanted them to be, because that's just how things go. Um, it was no any, not any one person's uh, fault. Proved to be a very painful lesson that, you know, the biggest expense uh, in that scenario is that we lost a, a really good friend. Yeah. And, um, you know, we would love to have that healed and repaired, but we simply just don't know how and, yeah. and know what to do with that. So we've kind of had to just accept that as a, as a painful lesson learned and um, wish everyone well in that scenario. Yeah. Definitely it's something, uh, something to be really uh, taken with deep, deep consideration. Um, it's, it's not unlike a marriage. It's not unlike any other contract. Um, you know, like be careful, you know, caveat emptor, you know, be careful what you're, what you're signing up for and be really, really clear uh, with all parties. Cause uh, otherwise, I mean, yeah, it's like, I could care less about, um, the money or the business or anything else that was involved in that scenario. Cause it really was minimal at that point. It was really about the feelings and the people yeah. and, and the friendship and, uh, and that deserves the utmost respect. And that's very, very clear. And it was clear to us then, but it's, it's even more clear to us now. So. Yeah. I've uh, talked to some other agency owners who've had similar issues with, with ownership and equity and stuff like that in the beginning. It's, you know, everyone wants a piece and mm -hmm. it, it gets a little bit difficult sometimes. Yeah. Well, it does. And, and there's options. I mean, once you educate yourself as a business owner as to like equity is not the thing necessarily that you need to offer, you can offer other ways of investment like um, profit sharing or commission or all sorts of things. I mean, there's lots of creative ways to let people feel invested um, into your company and, and you want them to, you, you know, you want that level of investment because the work is better, you know? So, you know, again, those are just, those are lessons that, um, I think your average business student would probably know right off the bat, but neither one of us, I studied anthropology in school. Yeah. I never even studied design. <laughs> so it's like, I have no, I have no idea. I'm learning all of my business lessons, like by trial and error. And it's, um, some are just more, more, uh, painful than others and some yeah. are more challenging than others. But honestly, it's become one of the more fun aspects of my specific part of the company um, to, you know, constantly be improving as a business owner, business leader, um, you know, be a better communicator, better creative director. Like, how can I serve my team and, and serve the company as best I can? Everyone's job really is to make everyone else's life around them easier. My job too, you know? And so uh, it doesn't matter if you're a producer or a designer or a creative director or art director. It's like everyone's job is to make everyone else's life easier. Yeah. So that's, it's nerdy, but it's fun. <laughs> that's great. Can you point to one, one shift or change in your business that you felt like kind of melt, moved you guys to the next level? I think one shift or change was we realized that, you know, that what we're up to is a numbers game, you know, like money works the same in every industry. And we didn't realize how much we were undervaluing ourselves, um, not being clear with, with ourselves on our margins, not being clear or, or, or accurate with our time estimations. Like we would spend, I mean, <laughs> like with Olympic provisions, like it was laughable. Like we spent like seriously like a year, year and a half on that job. And we probably got maybe $6,000 total. You know I mean, <laughs> I mean, it was just like in that, and that was a time when we had a third partner. So divide that by three and then to divide that by a year and a half. And that's like, you know, we were paying them to work on the job, you know, granted it was like, it's gained us ton of tons of notoriety and work and we're not bitter by it by any means. I say that with a smile on my face, but it's laughable. You know, it's like, that's just simply not sustainable. And 
So once we realized, you know, more or less how to like, you know, have a cash flow calculator. So like cash flow is different than your profits and loss and that sort of stuff. And, um, and I don't mean to bore your listeners with a bunch of like mumbo jumbo about business, <laughs> but all these things are really critical in, in the decision making around what types of clients you take and when you take them and why you take them. I mean, you vet them you know, first and foremost with, or at least we vet our clients with, do we believe in this job? Do we believe in these people? Can we talk to them every day? Like that's the most important thing. And then beyond that, it's like, does it make financial sense for the company, for us? Like, and how so, you know? And so, you know, getting really clear with your numbers and like all that stuff. I mean, it works almost exactly like a restaurant works. You go in and it's like someone, someone will ask, how much does it cost to eat here? Well, it depends on what you order. You know, it depends, like, do you want just a couple appetizers and a drink? Or do you want, you know, five-course meal? Do you want, you know, wine pairings with that five-course meal? Do you want, you know, whatever? And so prices range from, you know, low to high, depending on what um, people want, the, you know, how fast they want it. And, you know, the, the, the classic game of, you know, uh, budget, scope, and timeline you get too type of thing. And, um, you know, it's, it's not rocket science, but it is shockingly challenging um, for the average creative to to really wrap their brains around this. Yeah, I know that pricing is an on, ongoing discussion and an ongoing challenge for us at Murmur Creative as well. It's interesting, especially, you know, as you grow and you're sort of moving from clients that can handle a certain budget to clients that are high, can handle a higher budget. You know, there's there's pain points in there as well. Yeah, well, and it's like you got to, it's funny, we, we feel like we, at one point we had that kind of a pricing structure that was based on like, well, if you're a big client, we're charging you more. If you're a smaller client, we charge you less. And it's like, that's not fair really, you know? And like what we realize is we just need to have our rates clearly understood internally and how quickly we can do something and how much time it's going to take and all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, clear across the board and have a universal formula we apply to everybody just because it just, it, it's just more, I don't know. It just, like I said, fair, it just feels more accurate. It feels more fair. It feels more like respectable business practices in general. And, um, and then it gives you leeway to give discounts, um, beyond that because you know, you're, you know, where you're starting, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it's not like a guess, it's not arbitrary. It's, it's, uh, consistent and controlled and, you know, a little bit more, um, specific. How, how do you calculate that? Do you use sort of an estimation of, of hours that you think a particular project will take and then like an hourly rate or? Yeah, we, we have like a, you know, a kind of a, a ever growing spreadsheet of jobs. And so like we, you know, once we've done, uh, like a full hotel in which we've done several now at this point, we know more or less how long that took us, you know, mm-hmm. um, we, we know like that. So when another hotel comes our way, we have an estimate basically locked and loaded based on their deliverables. Like, well, if you need this, this, and this, it'll be this much money. Or if you need the whole shebang, we have that too. And so we, you know, as much as we can, we work with like real experience of jobs and then things we don't have real experience with we do our best at talking with people that know uh, first and then writing down like a really accurate estimate. Otherwise we're kind of shooting in the dark, but we try to try to pad that a little bit just to protect ourselves because things typically do take a little longer than you expect. Mm -hmm. But then we also build into the contracts that we write up with everybody that like things that fall outside of scope or things that go over certain numbers of rounds of changes, um, you know, can fall into an hourly rate of X amount of dollars. Um, that way, you know, no one's surprised and no one's pigeonholed into like continuing to do work that isn't getting paid for. Do you have, do you use time tracking on all your projects? We do. Yeah. We used to, um, not necessarily, but it's, no one loves tracking their time. You know, it's like, it's not the most fun exercise, but it's really helpful. Um, especially in, in what, uh, looking back on a job and doing like a a postmortem, uh, you know, trying to ask yourself like, okay, what really worked on this job? What could we improve on? Where did we lose our money? Where did we make our money? Like that kind of stuff. Like the, you know, tracking hours and getting basically generating data, generating data period, like around your work and, and tracking it, um, consistently from job to job as much as possible is just nothing but useful because then you have real insight into like what's going on at a very high level view. Uh, otherwise you're just kind of in the work all the time. Mm-hmm. And when you're in it, it's just hard to see it fully. Yeah. So I know yeah. we, we've got to work on our time tracking at Murmur. We, mm-hmm. uh, we've had time tracking on and off again, but we haven't quite committed to do it for every project. Yeah. It's on our list. Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, some te- I mean, honestly, like the best system is the simplest system. And it's like if Murmur or any agency that's listening to this gets uh, jobs that end up taking uh, on average days and weeks and months over um, hours, uh, then, you know, instead of charging an hourly rate, charge a day rate. 
Mm -hmm. simplify you know what i mean simplify do bigger chunks of time and just dedicate bigger chunks of your your staff to a thing and then time tracking isn't nearly as critical because then you can just like do day tracking or week tracking instead if your jobs are, are smaller and they require you know you can't really necessarily charge day rates or week rates or whatever choose the system there is no one system you know just choose the system that serves you best um let's talk a little bit about where omfg co is now you just moved into this new space um how how many clients are you uh usually managing at a time well (laughs) it's a tough question currently i want to say we have like we have technically like 15 or so or there's maybe 16 clients live but a lot of those clients are either quiet or um small enough and with their needs that uh that their fact that they're live isn't scary. We have a couple of bigger clients that um, dominate our time. Yeah, I'd say that on average, we have about four to at most six big demanding clients at any moment, one moment. And then uh, the other ones that are live are peppered in and smaller um, that, uh, you know, like they fill the time whenever we are waiting feedback from the bigger clients. And we try to stagger things uh, as best we can. I mean, it's never a perfect system, of course. Uh, because clients are wayward creatures. You know, we, we do our best to, you know, also give ourselves time for internal initiatives. I mean, that's the, one of the hardest things to do is to like it, simply update our own website. I mean, we're easily behind by a year of, of really great projects that we can't wait to release into the world. But some of the projects themselves aren't live yet. And some of the time that it takes just to simply put together a really good case study just, you know, it hasn't been there for us right now because we've had so many things happening alongside the move. Um, you know, it's been a particularly busy time, which I think is wonderful. Uh, I think that's true. It's in the air. It's not just us. Like everyone I talk to is like really busy right now. And that's, I think maybe a, a concurrent problem with the growth of Portland, maybe. Yeah. Um, I would think, but I mean, even January, which is normally a pretty quiet month, I mean, has been just bonkers for us. I mean, and for most people I know, and I'm grateful for it, but man, holy crap. Like I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to keep up, you know, but yeah. So, I mean, again, it's our ultimate goal. I'll, I'll summarize with this. Our ultimate goal as a studio is to have fewer, bigger clients to allow us to dedicate our hearts and souls to the things that we love to do. Like, and that includes like nonprofit work, smaller clients that can't afford us, things like that. Um, we're not perfectly there in, in, in line with that vision yet. Um, we're still figuring out like what that sweet spot is, but that's our ultimate goal. Nice. Um, let's talk a little bit about specialization. How would you describe your specialty at OMFG Co? Um, good question. Our specialty, God, I don't want to sound pompous. Um, I think, I think our specialty, uh, would land somewhere in the way that we approach work to begin with. One thing that, um, that we've, that we coined in the studio that we've been saying for a little while now is that it's easy to make something pretty but it's hard to make it matter. We really pride ourselves on making work that matters. And we think about our work, you know, and none of this stuff is entirely unique. Um, If anybody follows Sagmeister or if anyone has uh, a fan of Tibor Kallman or anyone doing really great uh, creative work in the past decade or more, um, you, you will hear what I'm about to say in different, different versions, but more, you know, more or less, it's like, you got to be really responsible with what you put into the world. You know, um, like if we get an opportunity to have 21 billboards in Portland, we see that as an opportunity to give Portland a gift and mm-hmm. to serve our client, you know? Um, so we don't want to just put some ad out there. That's like, you know, another, redundant or annoying or ugly thing we want literally to put an art piece into the world as much as possible as close as possible to that something that will make someone smile something that will be a joy to look at and a joy to experience and so we think of our work as a gift and i think that if more uh, designers and more studios and agencies thought of their work as a gift and not as something they had to do i think it would change it a little bit so you know we always try to imbue that into every every job we do, whether it be a packaging job, a hotel job, a campaign, like it doesn't really matter. Like we apply the same thinking and the same care into like, how can we make this something more than what it is? You know, like how can we make people feel great when they, when they experience this thing? So, yeah, I mean, I think that that's our, that's our specialty. And I think that we um, have a, a way of speaking to our clients to let them know how important that is too, to almost allow them to say, yeah, like, I think that's a good, good use of my money basically. <laughs> Cause like we, we are still hitting all the criteria that they need as well, but we try to take it to that next level of like, it's not just an ad. I watched a promotional video on your website and in it you mentioned, or it's mentioned, um, heavy analog, um, sort of 
the at least what I got from it is that you guys really love the sort of tactile aspects of design. How is that sort of translated into your work? We do our best to um, use the computer as one of many tools. Um, it's not where we begin and end. It's it's definitely something we use on a regular basis, just like any studio needs to. But we have a lot of um, in-house artists and photographers and designers that are really great with their hands. Um, you know, whether that be hand lettering, illustration, just getting raw and loose with materials. I think that a, a current problem, I think, in the design world is that we um, are all looking at the same stuff. We're all on the, online. We're all on Pinterest. We're all, you know, on Instagram, and we're all looking at the same things for inspiration and pulling from the same resources. And so to create our own resources like through you know our own means whether they be imperfect or not is a really uh guaranteed way to have like a unique point of view and a unique voice and so we encourage you know people like our designers and our and our, our staff to you know get away from their machines if they need to to do some brainstorming or, or you know creative concepting and or to make that mark feel more roughed up or whatever it's like draw it like shrink it scan it like blow it up uh you know redraw it wrinkle it up and then scan that back in and then you know get basically like use the most basic simple you know analog techniques to make something look messed up and patinaed you know if you want like rather than just applying a photoshop brush to <laughs> it it's like i mean sure you could probably like there are amazing photoshop brushes out there and amazing photoshop artists but why not just do it in real time and make it truly unique and go from there uh, it's like it just really depends on what needs to be done and how, how much time we have to do it and what is the right technique and what is the right feel it's the difference between shooting digital and film i mean there's room for both <laughs> and ultimately film gets scanned and it becomes digital but it's the the feeling of the film it's the um you know, the starting point, I think, that ultimately shapes uh, the outcome. Um, another thing that says on your website is uh, we build brands for visionaries. Um, what does that mean to you? Well, that was, uh, a, we had a more more verbose um, tagline uh, before that, and that's no good. It's, it's got to be simple. <laughs> and uh, one day Fritz came in and had that, I, that thought, um, you know, we build brands for visionaries, and, and we both really resonated with it right away. Because the way we look at it is it's kind of a kind of a, uh, a challenge to our clients um, to or our potential clients rather it's uh, you know if someone comes to us with an idea and they see that first they are challenged to ask themselves is my idea a visionary idea am I a visionary is this is this a game-changing concept is this is this going to be something that I'm gonna be proud to put into the world and that I know is worth the effort and the thought and the care that it's gonna to take to make this thing right and so in, you know, five simple words, uh, we build brands for visionaries. It's a very declarative statement that's very clear because that's a big, that was a big move for us too. We used to not, we used to kind of take pride in not being clear on who we were. Cause again, like we wanted to be the official manufacturing company. We design build and like, what are we? Uh, we manufacture brands and um, we realized how confusing that was for clients after having to explain ourselves and what we do and what we don't do uh, in meeting after meeting. And so just to simply fix that issue, we wanted to have more clarity on our site and more clarity for ourselves about what we're up to. And it's a complicated, I mean, when you really unpack that phrase, it's like, brands today are much more than a logo you know brand every every decision a brand makes is a brand decision so it's like we build brands for visionaries means that we're impacting kind of every decision a brand makes in theory we like to you know bring very uh, high level thinking to every single job again like whether it be a small package that sits on the shelf to like a, a hotel experience in waikiki and so um it, it's it's the same the same care goes into every every project and, and actually, I mean, it's kind of nice because it, in a way, it sort of vets your clients for you. <laughs> it does. I mean, it's, it is a line in the sand. I mean, quite literally. And um, yeah, if, if people aren't feeling confident or feeling like their thing is uh, as solid as it needs to be, then yeah, it's, it does vet clients for sure. And, and honestly, it's one of the most important things I think a studio can do uh, to respect themselves is to vet clients very carefully and very clearly and don't have any shame about doing so you know, if you say yes to everything, uh, you become a production studio and, and it's like you, you become a lapdog and it's like, we're here to help. And, um, you know, we're here to, you know, help not only our clients, but help the world be the kind of place we want to live in. And so, um, it, it's, it sounds really uh, lofty and big, but it is, I mean, what we're all up to every day, uh, energetically, um, is uh, a really big deal, I think. And it's, it's worth being really, uh, you know, honest with yourselves about that. I notice a lot of work on your website that's sort of um, more along the lines of interior design. How much is that a part of your process? Interiors have worked their way more and more into our process um, to the point where we're not necessarily an interiors 
uh, firm, but we do have an environmental designer on staff now, and we're thinking about bringing on more. We actually have several interior projects we're working on right now, um, one of which is, is a hotel in Waikiki. Uh, we started that job as uh, the branding agency uh, for for the job, and, and we still are the branding agency for the, for the job. But because of uh, their timelines and because their interiors uh, team that they were working with uh, dropped out at the last minute, uh, we have stepped in. And that's uh, infinitely uh, ballooned that job into uh, a really phenomenal, really exciting project, but it's a beast. And so, um, you know, we have to really prepare ourselves for what that means. And, and I think that will behoove us moving forward because, like I mentioned just a second ago, every decision is a brand decision. And so when we start figuring out like why a brand exists, like asking these very existential questions, it really impacts the interiors. It really impacts the, the, the entire thing. And so we're happy uh, to weigh in on all those things, uh, especially with the right team in place. You know, we, we don't have any illusions that we are naturally gifted uh, as interior designers or any of that stuff. I mean, again, like I said, my background is in anthropology. Like I've never <laughs> even studied design at all. Like I have zero formal training. My only uh, training was WK12 um, at Wyden, and that's far from formal. So, uh, you know, it, I think what we're excited about is when a concept can be fully realized, whether it be in physical form, visual form, or digital form, like online experience, like it should all, it should all feel the same. And the feeling is what matters. So interiors definitely are working their way more into our company. And that's really exciting for us. But you usually start with like a branding logo, um, brand book and that sort of thing and sort of move towards. Yeah. Well, the very, the very first thing, like our process is pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, and goes, and again, applies to every single job, big or small is we start with why we start with, you know, that very classic Simon Sinek, uh, concept of like, why do you exist? What makes you different? Why should I care? You know, and it's like, those are really blunt questions. You know what I mean? Like, because frequently we are the audience that our, that our clients are going for. And it's like, if we can make ourselves care about it in, a, in like, not, not in an arm twist kind of way, but in a genuine way, then we know that we can make this special for anybody else. And so we vet, we vet it really carefully by just being really blunt and really honest. Like, seriously, like, make me care. Like, there are so many things in this world. We don't need more things. We need better things. Yeah. We need fewer, better things. <laughs> and, um, and so we're interested in creating, helping create those fewer, better things, things that age well, things that in 50 years from now will be the things that inspire people like, man, why don't people make things like this anymore? Like this was really, really well thought out. This was a really well considered experience. Like that kind of stuff is what we're excited about now. Like 50, like things that were made a hundred years ago, 50 years ago, we get inspired by all the time. It's like, we, we just want to do things that are relevant now and will be relevant later. We start, so really what drives everything, to be honest, is concept. You know, it's like, what is the concept in the simplest form? What is the insight around the brand? And then from there, we actually dive into naming, logo marks, uh, brand book, like all that kind of stuff. And like, and like while we're working on that, because the concept is so clear and so locked and we have keywords around it and we have all these kind of things that help protect the concept we can start working on environments congruently, you know, like at the same time, concurrently and congruently, as well as, um, you know, any online experience. It doesn't have to just be like, nothing has to be contingent on what the, what the logo looks like. The logo is like 10% of a brand. I mean, if you think about Ace Hotel or Stumptown, they, um, neither one of them have a, a one single mark they use as their logo all the time. Um, and that's on purpose. I mean, when I, I can attest when I was, uh, hired to work at Ace and, and open the um, Ace Portland property. Um, they had the, the Seattle property open. Um, they opened it about seven years prior. My boss, Alex uh, Calderwood, um, told me, he's like, you know, uh, we have this logo and we've had it, from, you know, from the, from the beginning, that's a circle like with an A in it. And uh, we don't really love it. And we actually don't really want to replace it. So we, we want to champion this notion of the non-brand brand. So I worked with Alex and his partners, Jack and Wade and Doug on like what that could look like, you know, in the, in a, in a hotel experience of like, what is a non-brand brand? Well, it's all about the voice. It's all about the experience. It's all about, uh, the materials chosen. It's all about what you do offer, what you don't offer, um, you know, who the staff is and how they speak to you. Um, so that was, that was a really big, beautiful challenge. And it's really shaped how I think about brands in general, um, ever since. You know, it's interesting. I, um, when I was looking at the website and I was looking at the Ace Hotel and I saw all the different kind of treatments of the logo and the brand, I'm not a designer, but I turned to my brother, who's the designer and owner at Murmur Creative. And I was like, 
are they supposed to do this? I thought the logo was always supposed to be the same, right. you know? And, and he was like, right. no, you know, like that's kind of an edgy way of approaching uh, a brand. And mm-hmm. he mentioned that like skateboard brands and stuff like that always do, you know, they make the logo different on every board and, yep. and talked a little bit about that, that approach. And I thought that was, that was interesting. And, and I hadn't really thought about things that way. It's true. I mean, well, so the funny thing about skate culture, cause I grew up skateboarding and that was that if anything was my creative background, it was skateboarding, to be honest. I grew up in a a small Texas town and and that was the only thing that saved my life and turned me on to both the East Coast and the West Coast and like what was going on in both cultures like that punk rock music and skateboarding just like really uh, shaped my creative um, brain and so uh, a lot of skate companies will have their main mark but that's not what they show on decks that's not what they show on shirts that's not what they lead with they have it Mm-hmm. And so that doesn't change actually. And, uh, frequently, uh, it frequently is just like a thing, you know, but, uh, but they have so much creative freedom and so much fun to be honest with what the brand is that that's what the average person experiences. And that, and so your boss is absolutely right. Yeah. With ACE, I, you know, uh, you know, again, I came from my background and, and I, and I channeled that into, into ACE and, and Alex also was very close to skate culture and, and all that stuff. And then, uh, w- alongside Jack's taste of very worldly, very bohemian, very, um, raw, um, you know, he was, he studied architecture and he was a big fan of, you know, letting concrete be concrete and, you know, letting wood be wood, that kind of mentality. And, um, and I think the combination of, of those cultures combining really made Ace feel special. That's great. So with your discovery process, you, you said those sort of three questions. How in depth is that? Do you spend a lot of time with the clients, um, getting to know their brand interviews with employees or customers or? Yeah, we, so we do, we feel like the secret to really understanding and creating a good brand is to become an insider to that industry and to that, to that culture as much as possible, you know, and it's a crash course, um, into that, you know, like with Portland Meadows, as an example, like none of us had ever, you know, gone to a horse track or done any paramutual wagering or anything like that. So we didn't know anything about that world, but yeah, we start with trying to ask a lot of questions, uh, both to their staff and to the client, but you know, it's anyone that's really relevant to, to the job. And I can't say that customers are a good example of that they can be uh we haven't really done that too much but like customers asking customers about brands sometimes can fall into the focus group category for us which we don't really believe in focus groups simply because not all information is good information like when you come to somebody that hasn't ever thought about something and ask them for their opinion on it they're going to form one right there yeah and on the spot and so you're going to get an opinion but it's not necessarily rooted in the long-term thinking of what a brand can be and should be. And, um, and then, you know, I mean, it simply said, it's like, no one asked Steve jobs for the iPhone. You know, he, he saw that things were going that way with technology. He saw the possibilities with his team of like unifying a phone and an MP3 player and, you know, GPS and all these things into one device. And so, you know, what we do with our clients is we try to, really truly understand what they're up against what they're going for you know why like i said why we should care about it first and foremost and why anyone else would care about it as well and what makes it unique and what makes it different than what else is out there yeah i mean honestly i feel like the customers of the client are kind of the last place we would look for good answers um we really trust ourselves um in our own research and you know challenging ourselves to really poke holes in, in logic and poke holes in, um, you know, what a client thinks they need or what they think their problem is. You know, frequently we'll have a client come to us and say, you know, we want, we want to change this and that about our brand. Um, but we want to keep the logo and keep all this stuff the same. And it's like, well, just so you know, your logo communicates this, this, and this. And if you, if you want to communicate this instead, your logo is undermining your efforts of a rebrand. And we don't think it's a good idea to hire us. And so we'll, we'll just be really blunt about, you know, if you want us to help you, let us help you. You know, I think that most clients either really appreciate that and they hire us and we do a great job with them or they don't get it and they walk away and they go hire some agency that will be their yes men and, and do whatever they ask them to do. Yeah. So yeah, getting really clear, um, about what matters and why, uh, not only with your client, but with yourself, um, as an agency in a studio, uh, is, is, the, is imperative. I mean, it's, and it's like at the heart of a good creative brief, like we'll have creative briefs handed to us that clients think are bulletproof. And then we will rewrite our own with the, as much of their language as possible in it. So they feel heard and they feel like they're being represented represented well but we try to add clarity and we try to add really useful language because you can't say we want our brand to be unique 
or authentic. Right. Like those are not useful keywords. I'm sorry, <laughs> clients of America or anywhere like that. Like those are simply not useful. Every brand wants those things. You know, we need to be more specific. You know, we need to be more um, clear as to like, what is it that makes you different? What is it that you're offering that someone can't get somewhere else better and cheaper and easier? So, um, so yeah, getting really clear about that is, is what makes a job matter. Who's usually involved in that sort of initial starting out on a discovery process with a brand? Mm. In the in the early stages of our company, it was Fritz and myself, but we were kind of just involved in everything. And we still are kind of involved in everything in a way that's not sustainable. Like it's definitely killing both of us a little bit because we've grown a lot recently. We've uh, We had a big year in 2015 of transition and um, including a move. We're really trying to figure out what is the best system uh, moving forward because uh, we want to empower our team and, and, and let our team feel invested in not only uh, OMFG Co, but in, in the clients they get to work on. And so, you know, we're, we're pulling in uh, more people earlier. Like we, we used to bring in, so we made the mistake of uh, bringing in the entire team right away. And then people would spin on names and logos and all this kind of stuff for like way, way too long, honestly. And that was just no, no one's fault but our own uh, because we just simply didn't realize how many hours we were burning on jobs. And so again, that postmortem look back about a job, like where we made our money, where we lost our money. It's like we almost always lost our money in those first like few weeks, if not few months of a job. And then we got really efficient towards the end. And so we've, re- we've reversed it where we have fewer higher level thinkers, um, you know, myself, Fritz, um, and then like maybe one strategist, maybe one executive producer um, on the early, early stages of the job, you know, possibly a senior um, art director. And those people, you know, will be involved on the entire job. And then we bring in the junior designers, we bring in the production designers, we bring in the, you know, any other support that we need as, as necessary once uh, the concept is clear. Because a group brainstorm, as, as romantic as it sounds, is just not that effective or useful. And so we like to like really simplify and really have, like I said, high level, you know, simple approach to getting clear and first. And then once we're clear, then, you know, we open the gates to everybody. So how do you and um, Fritz sort of divide your responsibilities? Um, it's been a it's been a moving target um, how we've been figuring it out. But um, part of it is. Um, we'll get jobs through our network of people. And so sometimes they might know Fritz better than me, or sometimes I might, they might know me better than Fritz. So those jobs are naturally like in my camp or in his camp respectively. Otherwise it's like, who has the bandwidth, you know, like right now Fritz has three projects and you have two, you so you should take this one. Yeah. I mean, really it's kind of like, those are the biggest, biggest buckets of criteria, you know, moving forward, I think we might like devise a different strategy, but, um, but for the time being, it's like, like I said, we kind of, we're, we're both kind of on every project and that's, it's both good and bad. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's good in the sense that it creates consistency and all of our clients love having, uh, you know, the co-founders uh, of the company on the job or whatever. But, you know, as we get busier and as, we, as, you know, our staff grows and as we, you know, just are in different places, it's just literally not sustainable. Mm-hmm. So we have to, um, put the right people in place and put the right trust in place to, you know, have other people handle it. And then we still are looped in accordingly, you know. And are you guys doing project management or mainly just art direction? Do you have dedicated project managers for projects? We do. Um, for us, uh, the way I would look at Fritz and myself in this studio would be, um, you know, we're, we're business owners first, highest level, and then we're creative directors second. And then I think... So when, you, when I say business owners, that means I, we have to think about the numbers. We have to think about the staffing. We have to think about, um, you know, all that, all the stuff that, uh, you know, no one else in the staff has to really think about too much, uh, except for like HR and, and accounting and things like that. <laughs> and then, uh, and then we're creative director second. So we're on, that's, that's where we're like on every job and we're like giving our teams the high level feedback that they need to keep running. So we're not a bottleneck. And then, you know, we have our admin team right now, uh, which is uh, just right now, just two producers, one executive producer and one, uh, a regular level producer. The way we think of producers in our studio is being being a small studio we all wear several hats like everybody is a multiple uh, a multiplicity of sorts mm-hmm. and so our producers are a hybrid position of an account manager and a project manager okay and so uh, you know our uh, you know our executive producers and producers work together with us on putting together scopes of work um, organizing what the schedule will be around the scope of work, putting together estimates around that scope of work as well, and then vetting that through our accountant 
and um, in our HR department, uh, which is just one person, we dabble, Fritz and I both dabble in project management, but mm-hmm. we really leave that in the hands of our very capable producers. And then, uh, yeah, and then they are also responsible for kind of damage control or fielding fires, um, you know, new requests that come up, things that don't get done right or do get done right or, or need a shift, you know, along the way. Um, you know, then uh, HR and accounting uh, is responsible for, you know, sending out invoices and, and doing accounts receivable and accounts payable. Um, you know, again, we're kind of still formulating how what is the very best system for us as a small mm-hmm. studio um, but that's working pretty well right now and I feel like we might benefit from adding one or two more layers of p- potentially an account director um, mm-hmm. that simply focuses on finances and accounts and where things are you know we're not quite there yet we don't have that person yet but uh, but it's 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 you know it's, it's a constant dance well I know at, at murmur creative you know we hired someone to do social media stuff for us and they ended up being our project manager so right. a lot of things like that have sort of just right. like grown organically and we're like oh actually we're not going to do social media but we do need a project manager yeah, yeah, <laughs> there you go yeah um let's talk a little bit about tools you can mention non-software tools but i usually ask people if there's any sort of project management software or uh, finance software or anything that's sort of vital to your operation totally totally um so we've experimented with a lot to be honest and and we've and we've shifted around quite a bit but where we are currently and it's a, it's a pretty decent system you know no, no system is, is flawless but um we use a combination and I'll run it down from business side to uh, client and creative side. Um, we start with QuickBooks. Uh, online version uh, has gotten much more robust in recent years. Uh, it used to not be all that great, to be honest, uh, but you know, kudos QuickBooks for stepping up your game. Um, we're, uh, we're using that on a regular. And then um, we use Basecamp 3 because uh, 3 has inter- introduced a lot of things to it that have been really useful for us. We were using other tools uh, for other things at first, uh, but we simplified and we have unified uh, most of our client communication through Basecamp 3 and then a lot of our internal communication through Basecamp 3 as well in the sense of like we use Slack, for example, but we don't use Slack for sharing files or asking for feedback. It's it's more of a um, communication tool, a very informal communication tool about live real-time updates or reaching out to somebody to get feedback mm-hmm. or, to, or let someone know that something's on Basecamp, check it out. Um, because the problem with doing it in Slack is we um, will easily lose a thread. We have so many channels and so many threads that it's like, where did you post that again? Or is it a personal message? Was it a client message? Like, I don't remember. And so just to alleviate uh, the search and, and the easy loss of, of things falling, slipping through the cracks, we, we try to, you know, have a pretty stringent practice of putting all files and feedback on Basecamp in the appropriate threads. Um, you know, we run all of our schedule through, you know, Google calendars and uh, to-dos through Basecamp as well. And we try to attribute as much um, measurable uh, data to that as possible, like spend this amount, this like two hours on this, mm-hmm. or or this is due by this date, or whatever, rather than it just a general to do. We use Dropbox as our server essentially, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we we just uh, you know paid for Dropbox Teams, and just like it's just huge and awesome, and it's easy to share files, it's easy to uh, you know introduce um, you know new clients to to the you know sharing sharing folders and all that kind of stuff, and you know you can do uh, preferences so you don't crash your computers and all that kind of stuff, so you don't have every every single job on every, on your machine right but you know it's it's not perfect but um but it does work pretty well and, and it's cheaper than a server for us right now we also use harvest as a time tracking tool it's definitely one of the most versatile and most uh, easy to use uh with its its ui and we just found out about a plugin you know allows you to generate gantt charts through through basecamp and through harvest and through all that kind of stuff so we've been starting to use that and i can't remember what that's called off the top of my head we just started using it like last week and so gantt charts are really useful just to get kind of a visual overview about like where things are and, and what the bandwidth is of the studio i think that's the rundown so slack quickbooks basecamp 3 harvest Dropbox. I yeah. think that's it. Yeah, we honestly we tried to simplify because we had we had more. We had like Smartsheet and we had Todoist and we had all these different things uh, that we were looking at and trying to use just because we really were just interested in what's the best system, what's yeah. the right system for us, like what's yeah. the best flow, and and it's like I said, there is just no one answer to that question, and it's like 
it just depends on, you know, how you want to do it. So yeah, it's kind of an organic thing, but it's also kind of like you have to pick a lane and just go and try it out for a few months. And, you know, one of the things that's been the most challenging um, and also most helpful is simply like, what is our personal file naming structure, you know, (laughs) and like, because that way, you know, we have a freelancer come onto a job. We have a file naming structure. We explain that file naming structure to them. They can find anything. They can find anything where it's, where it's supposed to be because it's, it's organized in the right folders and it's named the right things. And like, once you do that, whatever that is for you, it's a game changer. Like I couldn't, I couldn't stress that more strongly. Like I highly recommend every studio do that because you can't label anything final. You can't label anything, you know, um, you know, by its client name first, because like, then you'll have countless files that are named the exact same thing. So you can't search for it. It's, it's a, it's a tricky one, but I think we've honed in on something that works for us right now. And so hopefully that sticks with us for a while. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It was really awesome. Yeah, of course. Uh, you of have really course. great insights. I usually ask everyone at the end of the interview, if they had um, some advice that they would give to other creative agencies that are trying to find success, grow their agency takeaways that you might give to a similar agency to MFG Co. That's a good one. And it's something I actually give my, give my, a lot of thought to on a regular basis. Like what is my, what is my takeaway like every day? There's a couple of phrases I can throw out that will preface what I'm going to say uh, that, that resonate with me. Uh, one is how you spend your days is how you spend your life. And I really think a lot about that. And then another one, a little uh, more esoteric is that everything matters but nothing is important. And I think a combination of understanding both of these phrases, you know, leads me to ask myself pretty much daily, like, how do I want to feel? And I think that uh, if you can ask yourself that on a regular basis, not just once, but on a regular basis, and then check in with yourself, like, do I feel the way I want to feel? You know, I want to feel happy. I want to feel joy. I want to feel excitement. I want to feel whatever you want to feel. Do I feel those things? And if you don't, then you ask yourself why and how can I get there? Because what is uh, a pleasant surprise, at least for me, is frequently it's a choice. It's like, well, I want to feel happy, so I can just simply choose to feel happy. It doesn't matter if this person's being an asshole to me or if this client is going off the rails or whatever. I can still choose to be happy. It doesn't matter. Like, I can still choose to see, like, how incredible my life is and, like, how amazing the world is. But it's a choice and it's a hard, it's a hard thing to see sometimes um, when, you're, when you're so myopically in your own self, in your own world. The whole point of that question is, you know, that you're not. You're bigger than that. Like, we all are bigger than that. And you have more control than you think. You can choose to live your days exactly how you want to live your life. And you can choose to have the humility to realize that, yeah, everything matters. Like, pour your heart and soul into it, but not to your own detriment. It's not that important. And not to anyone else's detriment either. Like, don't make anyone else feel like an asshole or, or, or a shithead for, like, not being, like, doing something perfect. I mean, it's like, it's just, it's just not that cut and dry. And so I feel like by you know, letting yourself off the hook a little bit. And also by having some accountability for your own feelings, um, I think is probably one of the most important things that any one of us can do, whether or not you're a creative studio, but really more of just being a human being. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much, Jeremy, for talking with me and uh, best of luck. Thanks, Chris. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Um, Yeah. I look forward to hearing this on, on, on the internets. You've been listening to the Creative Agency Podcast with your host, Chris Bolton. When he's not podcasting or being a dad, he's the Digital Strategy Director at Murmur Creative in Portland, Oregon. Be sure to visit us online at creativeagencypodcast.com.